benvenuti e buon anno nuovo. Happy New Year, everyone. Actually, there are several ways to say Happy New Year. Felice anno nuovo, buon anno, and my personal favorite is sereno anno nuovo, which means happy and peaceful new year. That'd be my favorite too, I think. Right? So here's hoping 2024 is molto sereno. And before we start, we'd like to thank all of you for listening to us this past year. And we continue to be amazed about the amount of people from all corners of the globe who listen to this little podcast produced from this little island. I want to give a shout out to all of our gang down in Oz, people in Canada, the United Kingdom, now Estonia, lots of new listeners in Poland, all down the line. I can't name all of the countries, but it's great having these new stats now because I can see that just in the last 50 days since we moved, we've had listeners in 3,314 cities spread over 92 countries. This is our lowest historical point during the year, during the holidays. So this is wonderful. And one last shout out for 2023 to Tony Noto. All right. For your wonderful review on Apple Podcasts. We loved, loved, loved it. Grazie mille. Bravo. But can I just clarify when you say since we moved, you mean to a new podcast host? Since we started a new host, yes. Which is how long ago? As I said, you read the notes from the show 50 <laughs> days ago. 50 days ago, November 9th. I say, okay. <laughs> all right. The other thank you is to thank all of you who hired me last year to plan your trips to Bellitalia. This is true. I genuinely enjoy getting to know all these clients. Yet at the same time, I know I will never meet them in person. But I feel like we had a little mini friendship. And then they're on their trip. And then they send me all their photos and their selfies, which I save. So I really, truly enjoyed it. And I now have several repeat clients who became addicted to Italy after the first trip I planned for them. So I just want to reiterate my gratitude to all of you that have engaged me over the years. Allora, let's get back to our road trip from October. In episode 127, we ended with our extraordinary evening in Ferrense, the private art opening of our friend in Palazzo Vecchio, and then that amazing dinner al fresco on the Arno River. Incredibile. Mm -hmm. See, Tommaso? Mm -hmm. I was looking at a video of it the other night. Oh. And the next morning, we said our goodbyes to Lady Kate, as I call our English friend, and we called a taxi van to take the four of us to the parking garage outside of the car-free zone where Tommaso and I had left it days earlier. So we load our luggage and I sat in the front seat with the driver. And when I was giving him the address from the parking receipt of where the parking garage was, I noticed that it said, call at least one hour in advance so that they could get the car down from the lift. They have the same kind of concept as parking garages in Manhattan where you can double the amount of cars you have with that lift? I bet they have the same concept as parking garages all over the metropolitan world. Oh, fine. <laughs> I don't think it's just <laughs> specific to New York and Firenze. I think I've only seen them in New York. <laughs> anyway, so I repeated that to the driver and I said, oh, I better call. But he and I were speaking in Italian and he's like, ah, here, just use my phone. It's out. It's easy. So he literally gave me his phone. 
gave me his code to unlock it. And then I called the garage, but it was busy. So I kept having to call back. And then he was getting calls. So I handed him his phone back and forth. It was funny. It was as if we were like old friends. I thought you guys were having a moment. I think he was hitting on you, frankly. <laughs> he but, was so that, funny. Yeah. He was so nice. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at pictures of his kids on the mm-hmm. home screen. Oh, sure you are. Stop it. <laughs> so when he dropped us off, Tommaso started to unload the luggage, but the driver insisted, no, no, no. And he said, he looked at you go, hey, il mio lavoro. That's my job. So, of course, I gave him a really nice tip, and I thought he was going to lean over and hug us. He was just so kind. And I don't know, these small interactions are the ones I love, and it just proves how kind and generous Italians are. They are. All all cultures can be kind and generous like that, but in this case, it was just day after day of super nice, kind people. You know, like after the jacuzzi explosion. How kind was that man? (laughs) Right? Well, he just didn't want to lose his life. (laughs) True. Lose his life. His job. His life savings, his his job, his client. Oh, correct. All righty. So anyway, then we were off for our drive to Assisi. Our friends we were traveling with, Beppe and Oleandra, which are the Italian names I gave them for this trip. However, if you listen to the last few episodes, you know who Beppe and Oleandra are. And prior to leaving for this trip, they said, or they asked, could Assisi be on our way to Umbria? And we said, certo, which means, of course. So it took only about two hours, and we decided to stick to the autostrada, the highway, because we had to carry on to Todi later in that day. Both Assisi and Todi are in the region of Umbria, so that was a first for all three of you. Yes, it was. But let me interject a bit here about the drive, first of all. To Assisi. To Assisi. We left Firenze. And on the highway, you're going through the mountains, right? You're going through the spine of Italy to get to Umbria on the other side. And there were lots of tunnels. So some dark, some screaming white with a lot of lighting. And as the driver who hogged the car for three weeks, Mm -hmm. which is fine. Mm. (laughs) According to whom? But you're going through, you're driving. And, you know, it's a standard, so you've got to shift at times, downshift, and sunny's on, sunny's off, sunny's up, sunny's down. And if you don't put your sunnies because— Sunglasses. Yes. Our friends in Australia will exactly. understand that. I know, sunnies. But um, if you don't change them, you go into from a light tunnel to a dark tunnel, and I happen to have pretty dark sunglasses. All of a sudden, it's very, very dark. And uh, yeah, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. So it's it's complicated because some of these tunnels can be pretty short and rapid. Well, can I just say, if you thought that was a tad challenging, you drive from Milano to Nice, France, 132 tunnels, and it's just like, boom. actually, while we carry on here about driving to Assisi, here is a travel tip I will share with you. You can find parking lots or parking garages online in a village like Assisi. And in some cases, you can make a reservation through their website, as we did in Firenze. However, in this case, going to Assisi, we weren't really sure what time we'd get there. Were we actually going to go on the drive south or the drive back north? So I didn't make a reservation. I just had the list of the garages in Assisi. And as we got there, I chose the one closest to the direction from which we were coming from. We all had luggage with us, so we wanted to be sure we left the car in a parking garage and, you know, just to be a bit safer. So we only brought our passports, wallets, and cell phones, and we started our ascent up to the city. 
And, you know, let me say that Italians refer to Assisi as a city. In my opinion, it's, you know, really more of a village. Yes. But to be respectful, right. I am going to refer to it as a city. Okay. In all of these mountaintop cities, you park below in a lot or on the street if you're there off season and are lucky enough to find a parking spot. In the blue lines, don't forget, parking mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the public are in blue. And regardless of where you park, you then look for the elevators or escalators that bring you to the top. Parking is always below the city and you have to get back up. So luckily for all these tourists, they have those options, elevators and escalators. In Assisi, we took an elevator from that internal parking garage and then an exterior escalator, and then several flights of stone stairs until we got there. Second floor, women's shoes, lingerie. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, that reminds it me of the old, going. Yes. Looks like the old days of department stores, right. but you're outside. Right. Second floor, Basilica <laughs> di San Francesco. <laughs> and as I have mentioned before, all of these villages and cities in the mountainous regions of Italy were built on top of hills or mountains for defense purposes. And in Assisi's case, people started settling here around 1000 BC. Long before escalators. Correct. And then, of course, it was ruled by various dukes and kingdoms during the Middle Ages and eventually became independent in the 12th century. However, Assisi is most well known for being the birthplace of St. Francis or as he's known in Italian, San Francesco. He was born in either 1181 or 1182. Scholars are not completely sure of the year of his birth. However, everyone agrees on the date of his death, October 3rd, 1226. So he was young, 44 or 45 years old. Well, if you did what he did, nutrition wasn't the top of the list because he gave most of his food away, as I think you'll go into. Good point. After his death two years later in 1228, he was pronounced a saint by Pope Gregorio. Tommaso, does that ring a bell, that name? Just Not like, the Pope, but... Yes, just like the little Basato. Basotto. Basotto. Close, close. The little dachshund dog uh, yes. in Southern Tuscany. Mm -hmm. That name for that little dog was so cute, Gregorio. Because it's a long name for a long dog. Yeah, <laughs> cute. <laughs> anyway, so Pope Gregorio, the very next day laid the foundation stone for the Basilica of San Francesco, and that is what we came to see on this day. The interesting thing, I think, I'm sure you'll agree with me, Tommaso, is that as the four of us walked up into the village to get to the Basilica eventually, we all noticed the condition of the stone walls in the city. And let me just preface, it's all stones. The street, every single building, every single like half wall, walkway, you name it, it's all stone and all of it was perfect. And actually you and Beppe both commented that it was probably so pristine looking because it was all rebuilt and refortified after the massive earthquake in September of 1997. And you know, this is a bit of a, a two-sided story, but they somehow rebuilt the entire village and the basilica that had massive damage in only two years. And that is remarkable. However, there is a lot of controversy around that to this day. 
since all those funds that went to the Basilica and the city itself made everything happen in those two years. However, 40,000 residents whose homes were left completely uninhabitable by that earthquake were still in temporary shelters years after the Basilica was repaired. I think old St. Francis would have reversed that and said, (laughs) take care of the people before you take care of the church. I mean, this kind of thing happens in every country in all kinds of government decisions. However, the Basilica di San Francesco was, you know, the crowd draw. Carrying on, to get to the Basilica from where we started, we walked up, then we walked down, then we walked up again. If you recall, like, it's not that you're getting out of breath, but they were inclines and declines. It was a lot of up and down. Uh, Yeah, it was a lot of up and down this whole trip. My calves came back the size of (laughs) cantaloupes, but that's okay. Well, it just shows there's many levels within the city of Assisi. And the entrance to the Basilica of San Francesco is on the lower level. You cannot enter at the top there. So everyone goes to the lower level and there are signs everywhere because it is obviously such a popular place. And we were lucky because there was not many people at all. There was one kind of tour group ahead of us as they were walking up this long incline. And I said, you guys just wait because I looked behind us. There was no one. I said, just wait. So you can see this unbelievably graphic visual entrance to the Basilica. So as you start walking up, you're walking perpendicular to these rows of different colored stone tiles. And so one row would be like a maroon color. The next row would be Uh, a sand color, the next like brownish. So you're walking up them. So there's that horizontal color graphic. And then the base of the basilica is also graphic with white and varying shades of other stone, like a gray and a brown also, all earthen colors. And then, so that's in front of you, then you're walking on the horizontal stone stripes and then to your sides, are those long arcades with endless arches and columns. And it was... And benches in the back where I sat down and took a little reposo. Exactly. (laughs) But the sun was high, so the shadows of those arches... Were stark. It was so beautiful. So if you are in that opportunity or in that position to wait for the crowd in front of you to go, do it. Wait five minutes and then walk up. Take it all in. It's beautiful. And again... Because there was no one there at that moment, we were lucky to see all this design and detail. The lower basilica, when you enter, you'll realize it was meant to be simple since it would be, as they designed it and planned it, the final resting place of St. Francis. However, the frescoes on all the arches inside were intense and colorful, and they depict the life of St. Francis. And he was indeed entombed in this lower level as soon as the basilica was completed. However, years later, his body was exhumed and placed in a hidden tomb below that church floor. Somehow, I don't know how they did that. And the brother of the Franciscan order who hid his body, which he did due to fears that invaders would come and steal his remains, he did a very good job since St. Francis's body laid undiscovered for the next 600 years. So in 1818, Pope Pius IX 
with the permission of the locals, ordered a search for his remains. And after 52 days of continual digging, they found him. Wow. What a story, huh? Yes, that is that is amazing. 52 days of digging. Right? Through stone. Ancient stone. Anyway. Stone from, is hard. What? Stone is hard. True. From there, we all, we weren't together at this point. I took off and went up into this uh, exterior. Well, I, I walked up the most narrow stone staircase with no railing, which I found was pretty amazing, you know, like insurance wise. Could never do that in Italy, uh, in America. I walked up and ended up in this external courtyard that was stunning. I took a ton of pictures and then I meandered my way back in. So we were all on our own, everyone doing their own thing. But when you finally get to the upper level of the Basilica, this is where you're a bit overwhelmed with the color and the design and the frescoes, which were painted by some of the best Italian artists of the day, Cimabui, Giotto, Ghiberti, and Vasari. And those large stained glass windows in the upper basilica are unbelievable. And by the way, it's the largest collection of original medieval windows in all of Italy. Really? Yes. That kind of thing helps to know beforehand, but in that case, I did not know about those windows. But anyway, this basilica is beautiful and a lot to take in. However, sadly, no photos allowed anywhere. Yes. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, I snuck in a few photos because I didn't see the sign. Or a man that actually walked up to each person and say, non foti. Yeah, he didn't say that to me. I took a few photos, and the inside has some fantastic graphic elements. No kidding. Uh, going up the columns to the arches. We'll do a post of them on Instagram. <gasps> the it, ones that you illegally took? Yeah. You know, I follow the rules, but I broke it without knowing. I mean, I would not, if I had seen the sign, I would have left my phone in my pocket. But maybe this is a very good thing during the high season, because this would be a royal pain in the butt if a lot of people were taking photos because it is so beautiful and slow down the flow Correct. of it all. I'll cite Positano here as they've Correct. stopped influencers from taking pictures and you know, you've only got two seconds and get out or you get a fine. Mm -hmm. You just can't have all this tourism with people sitting there going, how oh, that doesn't look good. Oh, let me go back and redo it and redo it. Good point. Just like we spent like 16 hours doing our little Christmas, our little New Year's video. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but it was funny. <laughs> We're the oldest Instagram influencers, perhaps. Likely, I, we, I knocked off most of that bottle of, of Prosecco. <laughs> All right, let's carry on. When you exit the upper level of the Basilica San Francesco, you exit onto this large area of rather perfect grass, which is quite rare. In all of my church visits, not the perfect grass, just grass in general. Normally, when you exit a church, you're in the village, the city, and it's a stone piazza in front of you, or sometimes it's a parking lot, sometimes it's another building. In this case, forever, I assume, it has been this area of grass. However, what makes this area unique is that there is now, well, since 2005, a contemporary sculpture of St. Francis on horseback, and it has become the iconic image of the Basilica since it was placed there in 2005. 
And I tried to find out online if it was commissioned by the church or the village, or did that sculptor just make it and say, hey, would you like this? <laughs> it was right? a little big for spec, I think. Right? <laughs> but I just, when I saw it for the first time, because it, I have not been there since 2005, so I'm standing there looking at this sculpture for the first time in person, and I thought, what a momentous event that must have been to place this sculpture of San Francesco here in front of Italy's most famous pilgrimage site. For the first time, something is on that grass in front of the church since 1253. Wow. That's 771 years. It takes a long time to make a decision some places. No, but I mean, the, I know, the sculptor, his name is Norberto Proietti. He must have felt like a rock star after that happened. And he's a local. He's from the sweet little neighboring village of Spello. Oh. Right? So I think that's pretty amazing. Carrying on. From that, after I took a thousand pictures of the sculpture and the front of the church, again, totally beautiful blue sky day, no one in front, a few people, lucky, lucky time frame yet yes, again. Yes, yes. From there, we walked back up to the village, up and down, up and down again. And then the rest of the gang I was with, meaning you, Beppe Noleandra, decided to wait in, it was a pretty short line for gelato. And that is when I took the opportunity to go into the Temple of Minerva. And I remember that being like my favorite place in Assisi from the several visits before, solely because of its age and its graphicness. And it is a Roman temple built in the first century BC. And now it's tucked in between an ancient stone bell tower and another old building, but it's fantastic. It's small and it has these six Corinthian columns that are so old. When you go up close, they're pitted, just like all the buildings in Puglia on the ocean, pitted from the salt air. In this case, just pitted from age, right. first century right. BC. And just like I took the pictures of the front of the basilica, a thousand pictures of the graphic shadows coming from the columns and the blue sky. I was so happy you guys wanted to get a gelato because I, <laughs> I got my fix. And actually, after that, I met up with you. I was kind of jealous about the gelato, but then I decided a cold birra would be better. So we found a table outside in the perfectly warm sunshine, beautiful day. And this was October 13th or so. So we all enjoyed a beer. You guys joined me because then you got jealous of my beer. <laughs> I have a double vice, gelato and beer. Not, they I'm, go so well together. They go well together. <laughs> and we all sat there looking at the variety of people that make this trip or this pilgrimage to Assisi. And I have to say... Can I say one thing? Uh, I grew up going to Catholic schools, parochial schools with nuns and brothers and priests. You know, they all wore the uniform of the day habits and mm -hmm. everything else. And Assisi was one of the few places that I actually saw people going along, monks with looking like they were dressed in priests. Oh, you mean when you were there? Yes. And nuns right. with right. habits on right. and whatnot. You know, talk about hot, but they look right. they look pretty happy. I have some good photos of priests in brown. Yes. Um, what do you call that robe? Brown um, Maybe we'll, we'll I don't, think of that. I don't remember, but they had trainers on. Exactly. One guy had on neon <laughs> green soled sneakers, but the, the photo is fantastic. Yes. I'll post that as well. 
Anyway, we just were so glad it wasn't that crowded and we're able to see all the types of people that visit and the locals, like Tommaso just mentioned. But while we were having our beer, Beppe asked if we could drive by Portzuncula, which he told me was a teeny chapel that had been in the woods of Assisi down below the village on top that St. Francis had repaired. Portzuncola actually means in old Italian dialect, a small portion of land. Beppe told me that he read the night before we left for Assisi that this little Portzuncola is located now inside a large basilica called Santa Maria della Angeli, which simply means St. Mary's of the Angels. And it is right at the bottom of Assisi, maybe four kilometers from our parking garage. And I had never heard of it, which some people might find odd, being that I am the church lady. However, it's the art and architecture that I love about churches. I'm not religious, which is probably why I had never heard about the Portzuncola. And I assume that most people that go to Assisi for the pilgrimage to see St. Francis's tomb and everything, I am sure they are very well aware of the Portzuncola. But to me, it was new and it sounded interesting. So we said, Certo again. And your driver dutifully drove you there. Well, hold on. I was about to get there. <laughs> Speaking of not reading the notes. <laughs> so it was indeed only a five-minute drive. And let me just say that, yes, Tommaso was driving again because he did claim the car for the entire three weeks, which I'm still a little <clears throat> clearly annoyed about. And 250 bucks poor or four. Right, because I paid for the extra <laughs> driver. Dope. <laughs> anyway, when we finally got there, we saw the back of the basilica and the side of the church. And oddly, it was a very large road. But now that I think about it, obviously, is there they built it with four lanes, which you never see in Italy in a small like Well, they've got a village. lot. Of, they've got a lot they of traffic to exactly. filter in and out of there. So we looked ahead and we saw there was going to be a nightmare if Tommaso tried to turn around and backtrack. So he just pulled over into this weird, random little parking lot where there wasn't actually a parking space available, but he could leave the, he could be there and he offered to stay and wait for us while we went into the basilica. Imagine that in the shade, nice and quiet, a little reposo. <laughs> Alone time is very important for an only child. I need to oh recalibrate and recharge, okay? I'm an only child. Sometimes I just need my time. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> All right, fine. So the three of us walked across that large four-lane road that I mentioned, and we started at the back of the basilica and walked down the side, and I kept looking up at it, and I thought, ooh. Well, not ooh, <laughs> but I thought, blah it's really blah looking but it's massive like we were walking the length of the side i'm thinking this is a big church and then we turned the corner and i saw the facade it was big and definitely more impressive than the side but you know me and my churches i totally i will admit this right now i totally judge them by their exterior just You're, like you are so shallow i know right <laughs> Just like judging a book by its cover. So, and I do that too. So, <laughs> so when we entered, I was completely taken back by the sheer height and the mass of the interior of this 
Basilica Santa Maria della Angeli. And straight in front of us, like Beppe Oleandra and I walked in and we stopped, just taking this all in. And straight in front of us, down the long nave to the center of the basilica, directly under the massive dome with daylight streaming through the windows, there stood the teeny gem of a once humble chapel, which was made from stone, yet the top half was completely covered in frescoes with deep tones of all kinds of color and gold gilled. I I truly just stood there completely blown away. And then I secretly thought, I am so happy that Beppe told me about this. And again, we were really, truly only a few steps into the Basilica. And I thought, this is going to be better than San Francesco. To me, personally, it was just more special and unique. The story is that St. Francis restored this teeny weeny chapel, but as he did so, he built himself a little hut next to it to sleep in. And that, in that little hut, is where the Franciscan order was founded. After his death, the Franciscan friars built little huts and porticos around the chapel for all those pilgrims that started to come see it. Finally, in the mid-1500s, Pope Pius IV ordered the construction of this basilica to be built around the Portzuncola. And as I mentioned, it is massive, and it was designed in the Mannerist style with a little Baroque thrown in, like the facade. More Baroque than not. And Mannerism, or the Mannerist style, for those of you that don't know, was at the tail end of the Renaissance, and it slowly morphed into Baroque. And our friend Michelangelo incorporated, or actually, maybe he started Mannerism with his designs for the Laurentian Library in Firenze and the Piazza Campodoglio in Roma. Both of those architectural designs by Michelangelo are a bit more playful and, and you know, they just didn't quite follow the strict rules of the Renaissance, hence the word mannerism. I just want to say that if we were to have a pop quiz after this episode <laughs> on architecture, I'm not going to pass. Well, for anyone that did study art history. I did, but I don't. there's some elements that I've, I were left out. I love all the styles, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe a lot of you don't care, but now you know that there was a <laughs> style called mannerist, okay? Anyway, so the basilica's exterior, as I mentioned, was nondescript, but the interior just sucks you in instantly. And of course, the fact that the minuscule chapel is inside of it, just all of it just added to the intrigue of this place that I had never heard of. The only thing that was weird is that it was completely void of pews, wooden pews. Yet instead, in the main part, walking up to the little Portzuncola, There were chairs lined up next to each other to like make a pew, but they were like from a, like a bad office supply store. They were unattractive (laughs) and weird chairs. And I thought this makes no sense. And it was a tad annoying since it was slightly ruining the view. But other than those silly chairs, I was just in complete awe of everything my eyes were taking in. In summary, I was so glad we made this little side trip. So for everyone that goes to Assisi, I highly recommend you visit the Portzuncola. Yet, of course, that is not an easy name to remember, let alone to pronounce. But good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is the perfect place to stop. What do you think? 
Absolutely. Okay. We're li- running a little long here. Oops. Next week, we will be back with our few days in Todi, which was the scene of the next incidente. <laughs> the next accident for our friend Oleandra. Stay tuned. Oleandra of the accidente. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Grazie mille tutti e ciao ciao. Ciao ciao.